Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. Sorry, this one is just a tad late by one day. Um, I really wanted to get this episode recorded with this guest because we haven't talked about this topic at all on the podcast somehow, and it has been a long time coming. We are 60 episodes deep before we have talked about cigarettes and smoking. Cigarettes and smoking in general are one of the biggest things that you can do to prevent your risk of so many different things. Um, one of the first things we do as physicians, if a patient is smoking, is to kind of urge them to stop smoking. It stops the progression of many things, and it also is just it's it's really important to stop. So today's guest, we talked to Dr. Steve Baldessari, who is a physician. He is a pulmonary crit care medicine, trained in internal medicine and pulmonary critical care, who practices over at Yale. He is also boarded in addiction medicine as well as in preventive medicine. Um, he did his medical school at the Boston University before doing a residency in internal medicine at Yale, followed by a fellowship in pulmonary medicine and critical care at Yale, and as well as got a master's in health sciences from Yale as well. He's appeared on podcasts such as the Curbsiders podcast. Shout out. Um, a lot of medical people probably know what that is. Um, he's published numerous papers on addiction, marijuana, cigarettes, lungs, all that kind of stuff. So I'm very excited to get into this episode. Let's do it right now. Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now, here's your host, Raghav Sharma. We hope you enjoy the show. And if you do, please don't hesitate to subscribe and like for all of our future content. Welcome, everyone, to another brand new episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. As you can see by my background, yet again, I am still in the hospital. Unfortunately, you don't get to see my beautiful background if you're watching on YouTube. Um, but today we are talking about a topic that somehow in over 60 episodes we have not addressed, and that is smoking. We'll talk a little bit more other than smoking as well, so stay tuned. But uh, today I am very excited to bring you Dr. Stephen, uh, or Steve Baldessari. Um, he is a physician in pulmonary and crit care medicine, as well as internal medicine. He also does addiction medicine and some preventive medicine over at Yale. Um, you have already heard about him in this intro, so I'm just going to get straight into this uh, conversation. Welcome, Dr. Baldessari. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you. Absolutely. So I had a quick question for you to start on this, and you started with pulmonary and crit care medicine, it looks like, um, and at some point developed an interest in smoking cessation and whatnot. Is that the correct order of things, and how did you get interested in this stuff? Yeah, so... I, um, I initially started um, with just sort of general internal medicine. Um, that was kind of my, my way in. I didn't have any specific interests in smoking or addiction or other things like that. Um, I kind of just sort of a general medicine person, I'm always sort of interested, I think, in the, the preventive medicine side of things. But really, um, I think my interest picked up a lot uh, once I got into a critical care fellowship. And... Um, almost 10 years ago now, I remember um, just taking care of patients in our medical intensive care unit, you know, and really um, kind of paying attention to not just what they had, but sort of the underlying causes of what was, what was driving a lot of this. And I just, I just remember um, at least one specific um, weekend where we just seemed like 
all of our patients had all of these sort of end-stage lung diseases, uh, metastatic cancers. Uh, we had an overdose patient, opioid overdose. We had liver failure um, from alcohol-related uh, issues. Uh, you know, the list the list went on, and I think it was um, very sobering to sort of see this. And really, um, at the time, you know, the, the patients were pretty much end stage. It wasn't a whole lot that, that we could do, and unfortunately, um, they they all had uh, passed away. But I think um, this experience got me thinking, got me interested in really learning more about uh, about addiction, what it what it is and how it's driving illness and really, um, really encouraged me to start, start trying to understand kind of the root cause of why my patients were, were getting ill and what I could, what I could do about it. And, and just, um, just really started with that sort of observation. And then, uh, that was kind of how I got into that area. And then I would say, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit, um, my thinking again, sort of was profoundly affected by, my experience taking care of patients. And what was really interesting this time was, you know, I thought for sure that we were going to see a lot of smokers, a lot of smoking related complications um, relating to, to that. But really what, what actually happened was we ended up seeing people with some significant underlying medical conditions. And especially in our center, there was a lot of uh, obesity, a lot of diabetes and other things like that. So that kind of was a sort of somewhat of a natural extension of my interest in addiction. It really um, has got me thinking a lot more about um, sort of general, more general preventive medicine, to things like diet, exercise, sleep, uh, and so forth. So that's a little bit sort of uh, how I got interested in, in smoking uh, and addiction in particular um, as sort of a larger part of uh, preventive medicine. Definitely. Well, I commend you for kind of looking into all those things, because I know from my uh, intern year working in the ICU, there's not a lot of time for thinking about things kind of before the patient gets to the ICU. It's a lot of you just got to keep running around, keep people alive, all that kind of thing. So I know you do a fair amount of research in it. So once again, that's incredible that you have the time to do that um, on top of all of your uh, clinical duties. Um, you mentioned preventive medicine a couple of times, and obviously from your perspective, it's going to be very different than like the last episode I had or someone else. So one of the basic questions I always have is what does preventive medicine mean specifically to you? Yeah, I, I think it, it means really taking care of our minds and taking care of our bodies and doing that in a way that really helps us to be as healthy and functional as, as we can. And again, this sort of might mean different things for different people. So I don't think I necessarily have a clear answer on what it means to be healthy, right? Because my idea of what that is will vary from what your idea is, and it will vary certainly from what our patients feel. So I think, you know, it's important for me, um, again, as a clinician to really understand um, how patients view health, what they, what they feel constitutes being healthy, because um, it certainly can differ um, from my personal views and perhaps from the views of others. But I think, you know, one way I've sort of learn how to conceptualize it is that, um, you know, I think in a way we, we're a little bit similar to cars, right? So a, a car, uh, it needs fuel to run, right? So we, we need fuel to run. Uh, depending on, you know, what fuel you put in your car, the, the performance will differ and the wear and tear will differ. Same goes for us, right? And with fuel, of course, I'm, I'm talking mainly about uh, nutrition, but also we can think about it as the air we breathe, the substances we consume, um, and I would get more into sort of the mental, so the, the friends and family we associate with. 
the videos that we watch on social media, the podcasts we listen to, uh, our stress level. So it all uh, it all really adds up, and I think it all has an impact on our health. Um, but you know, as we live our lives, just like as we drive our cars, there's there's wear and tear. Uh, there's wear and tear on our minds, our bodies, and so we we need maintenance. We, we just like a car needs maintenance. Um, we need our own maintenance, and I think how we choose to maintain ourselves or not uh, will definitely uh, influence our quality and quantity of life. And again, I think um, you know everyone has a different idea of what of what that means to them and what what's best. Definitely, I like that all-encompassing view. I like how you mentioned parts of our mind as well that need uh, good nutrition, as far as taking in quality things and not just subjecting ourselves to same thing over and over again. Also, you mentioned stress. A lot of good things in there. You also mentioned podcasts. Funnily enough, I actually found out about you through the Curbsiders podcast. Who, if uh, some of our listeners are within the medical field, you likely listen to at least one or so episode where we dive where they dive into more kind of the actual medical side of things. Um, so that's where I heard about you and all of you and listened to that smoking episode. So we're going to get straight into kind of the topic at hand, which is cigarettes. Um, cigarettes have been around for a long time. I talked to uh, one of my previous guests, Dr. Ali Hader, who's a cardiologist, mentioned that at some point, people used to smoke in the OR. People used to smoke on planes. People used to smoke everywhere. And clearly, that's not the case anymore. So I guess we know it's gone down generally. But as far as from your perspective, how has the use of cigarettes changed over the course of time? Yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. So cigarettes, um, interestingly, bef- before the cigarette, we should kind of take a step back. Um, you know, early 1900s or even pre um, sort of industrial era, that lung cancer was almost unheard of. It was very rare. Um, and then, you know, as the sort of cigarette industry grew and grew, along with that comes sort of growth of use, right? So, um, so back, you know, in the 60s, um, sort of reached a peak. Of nearly half of the U.S. population um, uh, was smoking, smoking potentially regularly. Um, over the, the past many years, there's been obviously major concerted efforts, um, public health efforts, to get smoking rates down once sort of the dangers of, of smoking have been recognized. And uh, we've made tremendous uh, progress uh, here in the states and and in a lot of the industrialized world. Uh, but we've reached a point where now smoking rates are hovering just below 15%. Um, they have seemed to level off uh, you know, over the, the past uh, several years. It's been fairly stable, uh, has trickled down a little bit. Uh, just for context, uh, globally, there's about 22% of the, uh, the world-used uh, tobacco products, most of those uh, being uh, cigarettes, and, and the vast majority of those are now uh, in lower and middle-income countries. So, um, so you know, we, we've made a lot of, of progress here. But certainly, um, you know, in the United States, what we're seeing is that sort of remaining 15% um, are much tougher to to get down, right? So we're kind of running into other issues. And certainly, um, smoking is uh, highly associated with um, some other conditions, especially mental health conditions, uh, things like depression, anxiety, trauma. Uh, so certainly from the standpoint of the clinician, uh, our patients now tend to be uh, very complex uh, medically, psychiatrically, uh, and socially. So uh, that's kind of been the the trend uh, over time with respect to smoking. Now, a, a quick question for you. Um, I don't. We're not going to dive completely into this, but you mentioned that smoking is dangerous. And at this point, a lot of people just think, especially if they're younger, think smoking equals bad. 
but we don't know why. Can you briefly discuss why smoking is just bad for us? Yeah, definitely. So basically, um, smoking is sort of inducing a chronic systemic inflammatory response. So you're introducing um, smoke particles. They're getting into the tiny um, air sacs of the lung, the alveoli, and then ultimately into the circulation and then distributing throughout the body. And really, um, we think about sort of the constituents of smoke. You have on one hand, you've got nicotine, which is the sort of primary addictive chemical in smoke. By itself, nicotine is not um, necessarily a problem other than that it's addictive. It's the, it's the part of it that makes you want to smoke more. It's the thing that makes it hard to stop. But really, once you burn um, tobacco, you burn, you create a very complex mixture of chemicals. So you're creating basically a mixture of upwards of 7,000 chemicals. And many of these are toxic. Many of these are car carcinogenic. So these things that can cause cancer. Um, and then of course, the sort of direct insult to the lung, the cardiovascular system. Um, so those are the things that kind of make it toxic, but really what it is that um, truly causes the problems is this sort of repeated frequent use over a long period of time. So it's this combination of toxic product plus dose plus duration is really what um, what causes a lot of these these issues. And kind of noted that um, a lot of the discoveries that were made occurred many many years after cigarettes had been on the market, right? Because it may may take you know if you're if you have a normal immune system it may take thirty or so years to before you develop a major a major illness. And some people don't develop major illnesses, but um, that's sort of why they're um, why they're dangerous. Sure. A lot of younger people now are not smoking cigarettes, but instead they're smoking other products such as marijuana and other things out there. Um, is the danger from smoking cigarettes inherently just from the tobacco itself or is it smoking? Is there a danger to smoking tobacco or anything else? Yeah. Or sorry, sorry, marijuana, not tobacco. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's a really important distinction. So it is actually in the smoking. So it doesn't, really matter what substance you smoke. I mean, there are some subtle differences, but the bottom line is that um, it's not good to inhale smoke into your lungs. The smoke is inherently dangerous. Once you light that thing on fire, that's what's creating the very complex mixture of chemicals. And again, that will vary depending on which substance is being used. Um, but you mentioned uh, cannabis. They're, they're really, um, we really are still somewhat in the dark ages on that, um, just given the sort of restrictions um, at the, obviously it's been illegal at the federal level, continues to be illegal at the federal level. Um, states are now starting to legalize cannabis use. Um, but uh, we just don't have the body of research um, and knowledge base yet um, with cannabis that as we do with uh, sort of conventional uh, tobacco smoking. But I think there's a lot more um, that we will be learning. And I would say um, we certainly know that um, you know, cannabis smoking definitely increases rates of chronic bronchitis um, and other sort of related conditions. But um, I do think it's something inherent to the process of smoking that is is bad for us. Definitely. So essentially, the message is don't inhale smoke, which should largely be a, uh, I don't know, somewhat common sense thing. But let's keep going down the cigarette rabbit hole a little bit. So you mentioned that uh, we've come down to about 15% usage, um, which is pretty good because it sounds like it was way up there at some point. Um, what have we done as a, as physicians and also on kind of like a systemic national level that has brought this down so much? Cause that's a tremendous decrease. Yeah. Um, 
So a lot of the work really has been done at the public health um, and societal level. So I think it's been concerted efforts to, for example, institute clean air laws. So just saying, you know, we're not going to allow you to smoke indoors, right? And a lot of this came out of the realization that smoke is not just affecting the person smoking, it's also affecting bystanders, right? So people that have serious secondhand smoke exposure, even if they themselves have never smoked, um, those people still have higher rates and higher risk of lung cancer. Um, so having those sort of clean air laws, again, just sort of restricting where you can smoke, um, having a higher uh, smoking age, another intervention, taxing cigarettes, so making it simply more expensive um, to, uh, to, to smoke, um, education campaigns, right? So just kind of educating, much like your podcast, just sort of helping people be aware of, of the dangers associated with it um, will certainly deter some uh, people. Uh, there's been efforts to restrict um, advertising by industry and particularly uh, focusing on restricting their direct marketing to teens and children. So um, we know that a lot of smoking addiction actually occurs in adolescence, right? So it's not we think of it as an adult issue, but really its, it's roots are when, um, when the kids are much, are much younger. So I would say um, those have been several interventions that um, have really made a big impact. Um, you know, in terms of at the physician level, I think, again, um, educating physicians about um, the dangers associated with it, um, much like the, the public health education, I think, has been a big plus. Um, there's been efforts uh, and many health systems sort of have um, automated features where um, it's uh, we routinely ask about smoking. Um, and I think by now patients know that um, that's something that we're going to uh, that we're going to emphasize and we're going to think is important. So I think um, we've had a lot of success. Uh, I think, you know, it's a, it's a great thing that that it's declined um, to the extent that it has. Um, and we do sort of still have this, uh, this chronic, kind of chronic low level of, of smoking go going on. I think that that um, may continue for, for quite a while. Definitely. So the listeners of this podcast likely are not smoking because if you're listening to the Preventive Medicine Podcast, probably engaging in some health promoting behaviors that do not include smoking, but they might know someone that is smoking or just want to put the message out there and try and help this public health message. Um, we know that a lot of kind of counseling and a lot of medicine comes outside of direct contact with physicians. And although we may be able to provide some counseling, like, hey, we should stop smoking, have all this kind of conversations. A lot of this does happen from peer support groups. So what would you suggest or what can you talk about like someone would say to a friend about smoking? Is there anything you could add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, a lot of it comes down to the why question. You know, why is it that you're smoking? And, and I think um, the most important thing sort of for individuals that are just kind of out there that are not necessarily engaged in the in the health system is the motivation. So there has to be a, a compelling reason for them uh, for why they do not want to smoke. And that that will sort of be the initial stimulus for change. And again, that reason, just like um, what we talked about, sort of the, the meaning of preventive health, that reason is going to be different from person to person. Right. So for one person, they might say it might improve their breathing. Another person, uh, maybe they want their breath to smell better. Another person, um, you know, the, the list sort of goes on. Maybe they're they're um, they want to have a better social life. You know, it, it's sort of um, it's really all uh, a little bit a little bit of a personal um, issue. But I think 
um, helping the friend identify what it is in their life um, that will be better for them when they um, when they uh, want to stop smoking and really um, helping them to find their own reason and motivation. And that's a lot of what we do um, in the clinical setting, especially for individuals who may not be sure that they um, that they want to stop. We sort of try to help them to find um, that that deeper motivation that will help them uh, spring into action. We want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is not intended for medical advice and is for educational and informational purposes only. We also want to remind you of our Instagram page at PreventPod, where we share various content relating to each episode that you can share with your friends if you enjoy our episode. And lastly, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list so you know right away when an episode goes up at www.thepreventedmedicinepodcast.com. And with that, let's get back into this episode. Sure. One other follow-up question on that is, I know as physicians, we try to do our best, especially in primary care settings, about uh, addressing the issue of tobacco use and kind of uh, directing patients to appropriate counseling resources and all that. Do you think it's also in the wheelhouse wheelhouse of other professionals that may be uh, also taking care of the patients, such as like physical therapists, nurses, um, nutritionists, all these other people that kind of reinforcing that? Or should we just kind of take like that more minimal approach instead of kind of pestering the patient over and over? No, I think it's um, I think it's one of these things that uh, it kind of takes a village in in many ways. I think it's uh, it's not something that a, necessarily a single provider um, can do all alone. And one thing we have to realize again is that a lot of the people that suffer from smoking addiction have many other conditions as well that they're dealing with. And like you're saying, maybe they've got some a prior accident and some chronic pain issues and they're seeing a physical therapist. Um, maybe they've got some anxiety or some depression and maybe they're, they need to see, you know, a mental health care provider. But I think a, attacking the problem at multiple angles um, can be very effective, but I think it does need some degree of coordination. So I think there does need to be somewhat of a, of a quarterback in terms of the, um, the sort of medical on the medical side of things, a provider that's, that's kind of overseeing that. But I think um, trying to address the various um, comorbidities and things that are, again, drivers of the continued smoking is really, really important. Sure. And sorry to keep uh, belaboring on this, but one other question. A lot of this ends up being, from my own knowledge at this point, I've admitted on this podcast multiple times. But um, for other kind of addiction uh, situations with patients, sometimes uh, mental health counseling, like CBT specifically, tends to help. Is that something you've seen with smoking as well? Yeah, so so um, so behavioral treatments are a major component of of treatment of of smoking addiction. CBT is one of those um, things that uh, it has been shown to be effective, and basically, um, this is giving the patient kind of a sort of a, a bunch of strategies and concrete ways, things that they can do to essentially alter the sort of automatic thoughts and emotions that are triggering them to then go reach for the cigarette and trying to reroute those neural pathways into some other activity or some other thing that they can do um, to get them away from that. So, um, so definitely um, as you're treating patients, if you have access to a person who's really good with CBT, um, who can deliver that uh, for this specific purpose, it is a really, uh, really effective uh, part of treatment and generally um, part of the standard of care. So that when we think of sort of standard of care for these patients, it really is the combination of uh, behavioral modification strategies of which CBT is one, and then um, the pharmacotherapies. So things like um, nicotine replacement, 
um, things like nicotine patches, gum, lozenges, uh, and prescription medicines like uh, varenicline and bupropion. So that's those things kind of put together will um, dramatically increase the odds of success relative to nothing. So relative to the sort of cold turkey method, uh, those things will certainly help. Absolutely. Um, moving on a little bit forward. So let's say someone has gone through CBT, they've taken medications, they're now, they've quit. They've quit smoking for several years. Um, oftentimes in our patient histories, we see they have a 30 pack year smoking history. So let's say they've quit for this long. Um, at this point, what can be done to reduce the risk of kind of chronic lung disease? Is this just something that the lungs regenerate over time? Or is there something active that patients need to do? What's the best thing to do for their lungs after they've quit? Yeah, so I think um, that's, a, that's a really great question. I think uh, one of the things that I really love about pulmonary medicine is that it is very much a preventive healthcare specialty because really um, all the good preventive health practices really apply specifically to this, uh, to this question, right? So when we think about lung health, you know, it's really not just about the lungs. It's about the other sort of components of the respiratory system, which include the heart and circulatory function, right? If you're thinking about sort of the pulmonary vasculature, it's the musculoskeletal system. When you're thinking about the sort of breathing muscle, the chest wall muscles, the diaphragm muscle. Um, we're thinking about the immune system. And of course, we're thinking about the brain and central nervous system, which is ultimately providing us with voluntary control of breathing and allowing us also to breathe on autopilot. So I think that the, the major things to be done, really, it's, it's promoting a healthy lifestyle. So first, we're thinking about um, you know, maintaining a healthy weight. So kind of going along with this, um, you know, obviously, healthy diet, um, you know, a, a lot of whole foods, fruits, vegetables, uh, nuts, seeds, that sort of thing. Uh, daily exercise. So again, increasing their their um, their tolerance for whether it's walking, running, swimming, um, lifting weights. You know, improving the overall um, strength. Again, that all makes it easier for us to breathe. Improves our um, sort of functionality and ability to to perform these these everyday tasks. Um, second would be to look for any issues relating to sleep disorder breathing. And so again, these, um, these are things like obstructive sleep apnea, which um, are also common um, in these patient populations. Um, you know, sleep apnea can certainly place additional pressure on the heart, um, can also impair cognitive function by way of sleep deprivation. So, um, so kind of screening for, um, for sleep disorder breathing, treating that, uh, for example, with the CPAP machine, if needed, um, can be really important. And then I think the last thing that that we kind of somewhat overlook uh, just in general, certainly in our own lives and perhaps in our patients is this idea of stress management. Because um, we know that stress has a tremendous impact on our bodies, um, certainly um, affects our sleep, certainly affects our performance and also our, our, our physical cardiovascular health. So really, um, you know, focusing on managing our emotional stress or mental stress will really help guard against physical illness and incidentally, um, will prevent uh, any relapses into smoking, which is sort of a, a known uh, complication that, that can occur. Definitely. Do you think there's any, um, for those like highly motivated individuals, let's say someone is a 20-year-old, um, they start smoking, somehow they get up to two packs a day, they've been smoking for 15 years before they quit. So they have a 30-pack year history. All of a sudden, they're 35, they're changing their life around, they want to run marathons, all these different kinds of things. Are there any contraindications to that kind of thing? Or is it just kind of build up as tolerated and then you're okay once you get to that point, you can tolerate it. 
Yeah, I think as long as um, as long as they haven't uh, developed a serious cardiovascular uh, problem, so if they have not developed uh, major coronary artery disease, angina, things like that, there are no um, real restrictions on what they can do physically, other than just what they can do, right? Sort of building themselves up mm-hmm. um, gradually over time. Certainly, um, exercise I think is a major. Uh, it's certainly a major antidepressant, and I think it can be really helpful in people that are battling addiction and battling. Um, certainly, with regard to to cigarettes, I think if the, the more that someone can do in that area um, will certainly help because again, it's somewhat of a form of mindfulness, right? When you're when you're kind of running and working hard, you're not thinking about anything else. You just focus on what you're doing, right? Because you're trying to you're, mm-hmm. you're huffing and puffing a little bit. Um, you're getting a little bit uncomfortable. So I think, um, yeah, I would always uh, just encourage that as much as possible. And um, yeah, certainly younger, healthier person, um, get them active, get them moving. That, that is definitely uh, a plus. Yeah. The reason I ask that is because a lot of times we've seen these patient histories that they have a significant smoking history. And then when sometimes patient asks for recommendations as far as exercise and whatnot, you're always a little bit hesitant for what they can tolerate or what you want to do because you'll want to um, give them something that their lungs can't handle. So that's just kind of the reason that I asked that question. But moving on a little bit back to uh, marijuana is whatnot. Um, you mentioned we mentioned some of the risks of just smoking in general. Has have you seen a lot of kind of a replacement of the people who used to smoke tobacco are not smoking marijuana? I think more commonly um, we're seeing the substances coexist with each other. So again, with smoking, it's it's generally that's that's not their only problem. There's usually something else going on, whether it's prior you know childhood trauma, PTSD, or anxiety, or depression, or pain. Um, I see a lot of sort of coexisting um, marijuana use. Um, whether there's substitution, I don't I don't know that we have a ton of evidence for it. We certainly know that with respect to nicotine vaping, um, there has been a significant rise in that. Uh, phenomenon over the last 10 or so years. Um, cannabis rates, rate of cannabis use is roughly stable. It might be up a little bit. So I don't know um, how much substitution per se, but certainly uh, I, we know anecdotally it would make sense that that could happen because again, there are overlapping pathways in the brain whereby um, cannabis and nicotine affects probably some of the same types of things, right? So again, cannabis um, in the short term can relieve anxiety, can improve sleep, um, has a multitude of other effects. But these are some of the other things that um, that kind of go along with smoking. So I would say more commonly, um, we're going to see these things coexisting. And certainly, um, you know, with the rise of legalization, I think uh, we are going to see a lot more cannabis use in the future. Um, so I think this is going to be a really important area for us to pay attention to, to learn more about um, and, and kind of go from there. Definitely. Looking forward to that coming research. And one of the other things that is kind of up and coming or more and more prevalent is just vaping in general, not necessarily having nicotine or marijuana, but just whatever the material will be. Um, like they have those vape oils or vape shops everywhere on every street corner, it seems like, um, in a lot of cities. Uh, are there any risks associated with that in and of itself? Because it's not necessarily smoke as you're not burning a leaf or anything, but what's going on with that? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so again, vaping really uh, has come about uh, really since 2007-ish in this country. It's when it kind of was first introduced. Um, started out predominantly 
uh, with the intention, the people that kind of created this concept they were looking for a harm reduction strategy for smokers. So the idea was, all right, well, you smoke cigarettes. That's a, that's, we know that's really, really bad for you. Um, maybe if we can give you something that mimics the look and the feel of a cigarette, um, maybe this is going to be uh, you know, less harmful. And certainly, I think to date, what we've determined is that uh, vaping is definitely uh, not without risk and not without some health harms. So there are um, certainly issues regarding uh, pulmonary toxicity, um, possibly some other um, issues with cardiovascular toxicity. We're still sort of in the early stages of research and we'll know a lot more in the upcoming years. But um, I do think that there's a strong likelihood that, um, you know, vaping almost certainly less harmful than smoking. So I think for some people who, you know, who cannot um, stop smoking by conventional means, um, vaping might be a, a means of harm reduction for them. Again, hard to prove that claim. I think it's still, um, it's still an open question. But um, certainly, I would say uh, it is not without risk. Definitely. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but there was uh, several years ago, like a very viral post on social media about this girl who was vaping and then ended up having like uh, massive respiratory issues. She went to the hospital and normally on x-ray or CT or lung should be like relatively clear. And she posted her scans and it was like complete whiteout. Um, and apparently it was attributed to vaping. Where, did you, do you see that? Do you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So again, there's always the risk. Anytime we inhale, um, you know, foreign matter into our lungs, there's always the risk that there could be a, a serious reaction to that. We, we've seen that in, uh, we've seen that in smoking as well. Um, things like acute eosinophilic pneumonia um, that affect sort of like a, like a, a newer type of smoker, someone like that. Um, so there's definitely um, some risk there. I, I would say that those cases tend to be rare. Um, I think the thing that concerns me more um, just in general are, you know, what are the chronic health conditions uh, and health effects going to be of somebody who is vaping over a long period of time, kind of like what we see with smoking. We, you know, are they going to develop uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema? Are they going to develop cardiovascular disease? I think that these are some of the questions that remain and certainly um, I think we will have answers to these as research continues. And again, keeping in mind that the products are, are very new um, and we still have, we still have a lot to learn, but um, yeah, I would say, you know, the, the main main piece of advice we always give is there's there's only one good thing to breathe and that's clean air. So <laughs> that, you know, but that said, I think if somebody um, truly is addicted to cigarettes, uh, they can't stop smoking using our conventional treatments. Um, then I think as a harm reduction approach, uh, the vaping uh, could be a reasonable step and hopefully eventually getting them to be totally smoke and vape free. Absolutely. One other question that just uh, kind of popped into my mind is we talked about how all of these different agents like vaping, smoking cigarettes, all and whatnot, you can have a positive effect on the reduction of those through lifestyle interventions such as exercise, eating right, sleeping, all these different kinds of things. Is there a negative effect of smoking cigarettes and marijuana on those? So it can be like a negative cycle in that if you smoke more, you'll have worse sleep, all those different kinds of things. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the, it's one of the really difficult, um, uh, sort of cyclical problems to deal with because yeah, if you, if you smoke, um, your sleep is not as good. We know that. And then if your sleep is not as good, your mood is not as good. And then if your mood is not as good, you might want to smoke to make your mood better. So that you get into this sort of negative spiral. 
Um, so I think it's uh, that, that's why it's really tough um, to treat. And I think it, the treatment a lot of times has to be multifaceted. So sometimes it's, you know, dealing with uh, a sleep problem first or, you know, dealing with a pain issue, getting that thing under control, optimizing that, then being able to really then address um, this, the smoking addiction. Because really, one of the biggest things uh, and issues around smoking is stress. So anything that's kind of causing um, stress, whether it's, again, sort of life, life things, uh, psychosocial uh, environment, or, you know, it's that you've got pain or it's you've got depression, whatever that might be, um, that's going to make it more, more difficult to, to successfully stop smoking. So I think that's a really crucial point. Absolutely. Well, I think we've discussed this topic quite a bit as far as our listeners can get out of it. I hope they got some valuable information that either you can use yourself or in helping a friend out or in just some general information. Um, we're coming to the end of this. And the last question that I always have for everyone, and I think you'll have a great answer for this, is let's say you are at a coffee shop, Starbucks, Pete's, whatever's close to you. And then someone has listened to this podcast and they recognize you and they're like, hey, you're famous uh, from that podcast, right? You're uh, Dr. Baldessari. They ask you, how do I get healthy? What do you tell them in two minutes? Oh, uh, it's such a it's such a great question. I uh, it's funny. I've actually been working on this exact thing with my four year old son because I'm really trying <laughs> to teach him how to develop healthy habits from a young age. You know, and um, mm-hmm. I think because uh, you know once we if we develop unhealthy habits, uh, it's much tougher to, to switch later on rather than if we do it right from the start. And I know this because my my diet um, has undergone a major overhaul over the last five <laughs> years, and it's been really really difficult. But um, I came up with five kind of simple things, uh, simple things that we should do every day. And, um, and if, you, uh, if you have some others to add, I'd love to hear about them uh, from your, your expertise in, in uh, preventive medicine. But for me, the five things that I tell them, I do, we're going to do five things every day. I say we're going to eat, sleep, exercise, think, and love. And, um, and to kind of give you know, a little more detail on what I'm talking about, when I say Okay, we're going to eat it means that you know we're going to eat healthy, we're going to eat whole foods as much as we can, junk food as little as we can. Basically, just try to have a healthy diet. Um, we're going to sleep, so it means that we're going to try to sleep uh, a full night as much as we can, so that we wake up rested, refreshed. Um, we're really going to try to prioritize and not shortchange our sleep. Um, we're going to exercise, and for me, you know, exercising means that. We're going to be doing something that's physically demanding, that's going to get our heart rate up. It's going to make us a little uncomfortable. And that, again, could be running, swimming, cycling, lifting weights, uh, whatever it might be uh, that we enjoy doing. But most importantly, it just means getting moving um, and not sitting around all the time. Uh, For thinking, it means just engaging in our work, something that we find meaningful, something that we find rewarding, um, and just something that helps us to learn things every day. And then, um, and then the last thing is to love. And again, we're, I'm just talking about tuning into our emotions, right? And just that could mean engaging with other people, whether it's family, friends, um, whether it's appreciating or, or loving the environment that we're in, trying to kind of get into this more positive thinking um, and positive energy and gratitude uh, for what we have instead of dwelling on what we don't have. So, um, so that's my, my little idea. And, uh, Love to hear if you have any other. Uh, That's great. I <laughs> love it. No, elements. I think at this point, all I would recommend is to uh, come listen to this podcast and listen to all these experts who have phenomenal things. And I'd use up two minutes just talking about this podcast, probably, because why listen to me when there's 60 other experts out there? So, 
Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I learned a lot. I hope the guests learned a lot. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thanks so much again for having me. Take care. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us spread the message of prevention, first off, rate and review this podcast. Second off, you can find our content on our social media platforms at PreventPod. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one.